0: welcome to still talking uncut i'm your host big easy joined by my co-host sean rixby so i was laughing i was busting sean pretty good um uh, right on <laughs> anyways, time right on time tonight baby yes we set the standard we will not be late again <laughs> why you guys get so big sean anyways okay. welcome to the show welcome to the show baby. special guest tonight Dr. Pat from Wilderness Trail Distillery and Firm Solutions. Welcome to the show, brother. It's a pleasure to have you. I've been looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here.
2: So tell us a little bit about your background, man. Hold on. Sean, oh, okay. you're
0: jumping Sorry. ahead, man. Yeah. Are you drinking on anything special over there tonight, Dr. Pat?
1: Um, actually, tonight I'm just kind of taking it easy. Um, I do have some uh Wilderness Trail uh seven year ride that I'm just kind of just sort of sipping around on a little bit seven year nice. uh, rye whiskey we didn't make too many bottles of this I don't know if there's any left but uh, this was a really good uh, small batch we did fairly recently nice but seven yeah. years that's that's a bit. patience
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. that's patience that's for sure
1: we just that's came fun. out with a 10 year uh, within the last couple weeks actually nice yep actually it was the second barrel that we ever made uh was the bottling of our 10 year it's kind of interesting
0: definitely you know let you relive all those moments
1: that led up to that you know when you bust out one of your first ones yeah that's right well hey guys i had a question for you all uh since you're in ohio where where are you based out of there now i'm in dayton in dayton yeah he's in and, dayton
2: and i'm in i'm right between springfield and nean
1: Okay. So it's, so, it's about
2: 30 minutes away. Like okay. right where
1: 70 and 75 cross? Yep. That's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. I was just in Dayton not too long ago. I did something at the Century Bar there. Okay. Yeah, and uh big fan of that place. And um, I've got a bunch of relatives in the Columbus area that are, uh, you know, all Ohio State people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, we <laughs> We're special yeah. kind of folk around here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We all get all the weller and all the other stuff up there that we don't ever see on the shelves down here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, you see a lot of red and green weller here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you see a lot of. You get a lot of uh, buffalo trays and Sazerac.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, interesting uh, Ohio State a story for you and then i'll move on to the wilderness trail and (laughs) And we're all about ohio stories keep it going (laughs) yep so uh well i was born in covington so i was born right across the line there but my family my mother's side of the family the flins actually had a machine shop where riverfront stadium was Okay. So it was built over that. I got pictures, uh, some old family pictures of our family machine shop that was there on that site. They got flooded out very regularly by the mm-hmm. Ohio River. Uh, but anyway, my Ohio State story is I had a bunch of my cousins going to Ohio State in the uh, 80s and they got me tickets. Actually, they got them from my dad and I ended up going but we went to the first rock concert that was ever held at the Ohio State football uh, stadium there in nice. 1988. You guys know what it was? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. So, well, I that's got awful. to see them. It's about like 1980. It's either 87 or 88, but that's the first concert they ever held at that place, supposedly. <laughs> so uh you had asked a question earlier about um uh, about wilderness trail is that what uh sean did you uh, ask the question earlier i thought you did
2: I can, I, it's, it's hard telling man
1: <laughs> um we forget pretty yeah. easily around here you know it
2: yeah it's been uh, so, real long so, so what are you drinking easy
0: uh apple brandy
2: okay i hear it's pretty decent
0: it's all right you know i this is you know that's when that's from when you uh you slam dunked your phone into the worm and i went in after it for you so it happens but uh (laughs) no i'm
2: drinking some just clear blue corn uh what is that ohio blue yeah yep uh buddy of ours but uh so i guess we'll get into it just tell us a little bit about your uh, backstory and kind of how you got started um if you Got to start on the distillery side or if it was in the chemistry side or, you know, just tell us yeah. about yourself, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've got a pretty twisted path of how I got into distilling. Um, you know, I started off and, you know, coming out of high school, I graduated from Clinton County High School, shout out to my hometown there, in South Central Kentucky, and coming out of high school, uh, went to a community college, and at that time, I was interested in science, and, you know, I'd been encouraged that, hey, you know, you're a good scientist, you know, you're good at science, you know. And I just thought, well, science, you know, that's going to be my path in life. And, and at that time, I didn't realize there was anything to do with science past being a doctor or a pharmacist or a dentist or a veterinarian like everybody else, you know. And so when I started college, I got into pre-medicine. And and I started off with that. And uh, my first year of college was pretty much a joke. I, I didn't get too many credits, I don't think. But anyway, I took microbiology probably the first year, maybe the second year that I was in college. And I'm, I love the subject so much that I switched my major from pre-medicine to microbiology. And um, and then, you know, took a little bit longer to get my degree than most people I got. Uh, it took me about six years to get my bachelor's degree, ended up uh, with bachelor's degree in microbiology from the University of Kentucky. And then um, I really didn't know what I was going to do, but I was looking for jobs. And I remember, you know, one of the jobs that was available was a quality assurance manager for the company that makes Hot Pockets and i was like you know i mean hey i ate a lot of hot pockets but i thought i was thinking you know there's probably an allotment of uh hot pockets you get you know every week but it just i was like man i gotta just keep moving you know figure something else out the worker's still hired yeah i need to check actually but uh I took a summer job working for the Department of Plant Pathology at the University of Kentucky, doing pesticide applications on a variety of different plants, including tobacco and and different grain crops and um, ornamentals and different things. And through that summer job, ended up taking a position as a graduate student in that department, ended up getting my master's and PhD in plant pathology at the University of Kentucky. And, and did a lot of work with farmers in the state with various crops, again, including some of the grain crops that we currently use to make whiskey. Coming out of graduate school, there's not too many plant pathology jobs available. Um, and I, I, so I ended up taking a job in Eastern Kentucky as a medical microbiology professor. So I was actually a professor of medical microbiology for seven years at uh at the time I was there, it was called Pikeville College School of Osteopathic Medicine, but that's in Pikeville, Kentucky. So I was there for a while, and while I was in Pikeville, I started kind of um, that. That's kind of when moonshiners first came out, you know. And and there was a this is the early two thousands you know, there was a, a lot of kind of interest in moonshine and, and, and over in Pikeville, you know, me being from, I thought I was from Eastern Kentucky, you know, but <laughs> you can still go 150 miles east where I'm from and still be in Kentucky. So that's real Eastern Kentucky. That's like Hatfields and the McCoys over there, you know. So um, I started uh, looking into it and ended up You know, kind of how can I fit into this whole? I mean, when I was a professor at the medical school, literally during Christmas time, I'd have students bringing me jars of moonshine, and and the janitor, you know, he couldn't walk past my door without checking on me, make sure I had a jar, you know. So uh, I started kind of getting interested in it and then kind of realized that, you know, I could apply my knowledge, microbiology, biochemistry because of the yeast that are used, the enzymatic, you know, reactions that are done with, you know, converting starch to fermentable sugars that occur in the mashing process, uh, bacterial contamination, you know, that kind of stuff. So I started looking into it, ended up consulting for a company that uh, sold yeast to fuel alcohol distilleries and then later formed a company, Firm Solutions, um, that markets fermentation products, yeast, enzymes, nutrient supplements, antibacterial products, laboratory and technical services. Uh, We currently do business with about 600 different distilleries and breweries. So that's how we got into it. You know, we, we were a company that offered fermentation products to distilleries and breweries. And then, you know, you look at the dichotomy of different distilleries you got you know rum producers and tequila and and then within whiskey you've got scotch and irish whiskeys and canadian whiskeys and bourbons and american single malts rye whiskey you know there's so many differences and we do business with everybody i mean even people that make uh distillates from yogurt whey and expired bagels and <laughs> marshmallow bunnies. I'm not kidding you. So, oh, yeah. Anything. Yeah, real. so we, we just got a lot of expertise in that through our yeast business. And, you know, the yeast gets the blame for every problem that a distillery or a brewery has. So we're always getting phone <laughs> calls like, Hey man, this damn yeast isn't working. And then we got to go in and figure yeah. out what's the real problem. You know, Hey, yeah. it's not the yeast it's, you've got poor grain quality, or you're not converting starch into fermentable sugars. Maybe your cook temperatures aren't right. You know, your enzymes in your malt aren't active. You know, your pH isn't right in the mashing process. There's many, many bacterial contamination, as I mentioned. You know, that's one of our areas of expertise that we help people with. And and over the years, we've studied that, you know, across hundreds of different distilleries. And have data from those distilleries and organisms. You know, if you want to really look into flavor, how does why does this whiskey taste like it does, or why does this particular distillery have this particular flavor profile? You really want to look at the contaminating organisms that have evolved in those distilleries, and that's something that we've you know studied over the years. So, after about a decade of learning and figuring out what everybody else is doing. We, we decided to start Wilderness a trail distillery, so that's kind of so your, started, your, you know? your your enzymes led to you being like, "Hey, man, I want to make my own liquor." Well, once we learned how to do it by working with a lot of other yeah. places, then we decided it just we had the knowledge to do it, and we had a lot of great ideas because we saw what was causing problems. Yep, in everybody, and then we're talking very diverse distilleries. You know, some are running pot stills, some are column stills, some are open top fermenters, closed top fermenters, grain on, grain off, uh, you know, loudering before you're mm-hmm. fermenting, grain on versus grain off distillation. I mean, many, many different facets of the process that you would never get to see on a tour. You know, we got to see from hundreds of different customers and then getting in over to beer producers. Uh, we've got fuel alcohol producers, non-alcoholic fermented beverages like kombucha and kefir. I mean, we, we huh. do all that stuff. So we learned. And, and every bit of that stuff intertwines together, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but that's so kind of how we started.
2: In the uh, in the home distilling world, I've noticed here like the last couple of years, um, the liquid enzymes have really blew up. Um, talk a little bit about the benefits of the liquid enzymes compared to like, you know, your, your barley and, you know, and stuff like that. Yep. So Uh
1: we, it like, if you just look at Wilderness Trail, for example, we use, you know, in the teens percentage of malt. Actually, I think it's 11 to 12%, depending on if we're making a bourbon or rye whiskey, which is almost enough to supply all the enzymes that we need. But even though we've got you know a good bit of the enzymes provided by the amount of malt we're using, we still use enzymes every batch. Because number one, we are gonna be able to get a faster fermentation. And faster fermentation is directly linked, especially when you're running 24 seven production, you got to look at how much time am I spending in a tank and that's going to depend. And then how quickly can I clean it and turn that tank over after a batch to maximize the usage of that tank? You know, we would have to, so we do, we finish fermentation in two days at at our facility, which is really fast. And to be able to do that, we've got to, you know, employ various uh, techniques Mm -hmm to you know to get that done but that's just you know one of the one of the goals that we have you know shorter fermentations so uh, but there's a lot of things that we do very differently there um, compared to other distilleries because again we're utilizing a lot of knowledge across uh, our experience right I think what Sean was referring to—that high temp,
0: uh, am, high temp alpha and glucose—really took off in the home distilling community. Oh yeah, over, yeah, yeah. Over the last couple of years, yeah, and it, it got spread by a couple of dudes reselling it. But you yeah, know, it, it definitely, uh, it definitely took off. So what are
2: time. the? So, what exactly would you say the benefits are aside of like? Just saying, us in a smaller batch compared to using the barley itself. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm I started <laughs> off on that path and got down tangent. So, You're really, right. the
1: two main benefits to me would be speed of fermentation, and again, mm-hmm. we're interested in that because that's how many tanks we got to have. But number two, even even if we do a hundred percent malt, like for a single malt fermentation, mm-hmm. we're still going to add enzymes because we are able to access additional starch so we get better yields you know we talk about a lot of people when they when they're producing they think about how much alcohol they're making per batch whereas we're thinking okay that's fine to think about it that way and that's a good way to hey i know how much i'm making every day But something that you need to remember also is how many proof gallons of alcohol am I making per bushel of grain? You know, what's your yield? And so by accessing additional starches, which are, you know, you're just basically breaking into, there's, you know, various types of starches. There's waxy starches and other types of starches. Some starches are uh, attached or are aggregated with other types of structures in the plant that, can be released by various enzymes. So that's two reasons why we would uh, use enzymes.
2: Okay. So uh, I do have one question that someone we ha- someone we know is mutual I guess friend of ours. He told me to ask you about uh hold on uh, oh boy i didn't lost You, you should have read go that and
0: had it memorized. <laughs>
2: I about a, ba- a rock band that you used to have
1: oh yeah well i got a, a i used to be in a rock band called fulcrum a long time ago and actually my business partner uh was uh i actually met my business partner shane playing in that band and um you know, we used to play in Danville, uh, you know, back in the 90s and stuff. And then whenever I went off to be a professor, that was kind of the end of the band. But I still play in a rock band currently. Uh, it's called Zella May. If anybody, anybody's interested, you can get on Spotify and you know, YouTube. We got videos on there, but Zella May with a put an exclamation point after it. I don't know, I think our drummer put an <laughs> exclamation point on it or something, but uh. Nice. It's, uh yeah, but <laughs> yeah, somebody asked the question what's kind of the best kind of use to use for moonshine? You know, um, whenever we look at a lot of, of the people who are making you know labeled moonshine, you know, that you can buy in the store, which is very likely uh, made by the types that you can buy on the back of a truck, but anyhow, <laughs> um. You know, the type of yeast, I mean, the thing about moonshine, it all comes down to what is your feedstock. So if you're mm-hmm. using, and this is the same with anything, we just say moonshine because whenever we're talking about a 100% grain recipe, that's normally referred to as whiskey. And a lot of times moonshine, even though the name implies the illegalities and everything, I mean, we're, we're I'm, I'm speaking of moon legal moonshine, um, you know, is, is we see it and we experience with different, uh, people often has sugar is, is part of the, you know, one of the main components in it. And so when you look at fermenting sugar, You know it depends on how much sugar versus how much grain and what your process is you know we're familiar with a lot of different processes everything from you know people that supplement a little bit of sugar in there i think one of the biggest issues that we see with it is is people not regulating the amount of sugar that's in their fermenter you know the the mentality is hey if i put more sugar in i'm going to get more alcohol But that's only true up to a certain point. And then you start inhibiting the ability of the yeast to make alcohol because there's too much sugar present. Mm -hmm. And then in that case, you're actually you can get higher alcohol by lowering the amount of sugar. So you got to really think about, you know, and then then you also have nutrient deficiencies. You know, if you're fermenting, let's just say sugar and water. All you've got is carbohydrates. You don't have any, you know, other nutrients that are required. You know, many, many different ones, calcium, magnesium, all these different things. And the yeast itself provides a lot. You know, yeast is very nutritious just itself. So if you've got a very large population of yeast, the yeast population itself is going to feed into a little bit of that nutrient requirement for the other yeast in there that are actually fermenting mm-hmm. but if you have a little bit of grain in there then that supplements a lot of those same thing with you it, it, with a little bit of backset you know and if you look at early you know what led to the sour mashing process there could have been a little bit of using leftovers from a previous batch kind of as a nutrient supplementation for a future batch you know, especially back when you're, if you were relying on the enzymes in the malt to do all the work, the pH, and also something that people don't th- ever think about. I've never heard, it's probably never even talked myself about this on this exclusive of this podcast <laughs> only. Um, but one of the things is, um, Let's see here. I had a real damn good point there. What was I What was I saying? Remind me.
0: You're <laughs> asking the wrong
2: person.
1: <laughs> Hold on a second. I had a really good point here. We're talking about enzymes and, um, oh, oh yeah, I got it now. So we're talking about using back set in, in a batch, you know, the whole sour mashing concept. And one mm-hmm. thing that people don't understand is that there are not – There are not only just pH reduction factors in that back set, but there's also cofactors that help the enzymes work better. And we see this in fuel alcohol distilleries big time. Like When they first start up, they don't have any back set. They literally have to use two times more enzymes until they start bringing back set around and then all of a sudden they can lower their enzymes by half and they're not using any malt. So they can, you know, they know exactly how much enzyme it takes. And if you start a batch like a sweet mash batch, you have to use double the enzymes Mm -hmm. because you don't have those cofactors present. And then once you start recycling that back set, you can lower your enzymes. So there's a lot of factors relative to enzymes Besides just the enzymes and where they come from, you know, pH and temperature are the, probably the two main ones. But that cofactor concept is something else that, you know, is, is and again, that's an enzyme issue. We were just talking about yeast a minute
2: ago. Okay. And so, um, go ahead.
0: Jim Bruns wants to know what else besides alpha and glucoamylase can you buy from firm solutions?
1: And well, can you, we, and can you come pick it up there
0: and not have it shipped?
1: Yeah, yeah, you sure can. Um, th- the only enzymes that we use are alpha and glucoamylase. There are other enzymes that you can get, like beta amylases and and different things, but we just really haven't seen in our, and again, we're doing grain-on bourbon and rye whiskey fermentations. We've got uh, hundreds of customers that do that same combination, and we just really don't see, uh, and we've experimented with it in the lab. But that's one of the reasons why Firm Solutions doesn't sell it for most of the applications. Now, if you see where you can use a beta amylase and it and it reduce foaming, mm-hmm. or if you use it and you're reducing viscosity and allows you to actually stir your firm in there a little bit better, maybe that would be a reason why you. Use it but for day-to-day operations the way that we look at everything we don't need it and so mm-hmm. those are the only two that we offer and through firm solutions and those are the only two that we use
2: interesting so I see a lot of um, questions pop up about nutrients on you know online and uh, a lot of people ask like if they don't have a yeast nutrient you know what is something that they could use? you know, that they may have in their home or, or, or you know, just readily available? Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, any little bit of grain, you know, if you pitch a little bit of grain in there, really, that's the grain has got a lot of stuff in there. Now, you would want to cook it. So, you know, but in general, you know, even even total grain based fermentation sometimes need nutrient supplementation. And the general rule that I usually use is that if you have a grain-based whole mash, you're not taking anything away from it, You, if you're not over 20 bricks, mm. then you shouldn't need anything else. It should ferment to completion, so long as you do a good job of converting the starch into fermentable sugars. If you... Um, if you have, um, let's see here. If you have a grain-based mash that is over twenty bricks, and and again, where this comes into play here is kind of a matter of how high bricks are, you what type wow. of grains do you have? You might need some nitrogen in there, like fuel alcohol distilleries, for example. They ferment at twenty eight, twenty nine bricks. And they're pushing 17, 18% alcohol by weight in their fermenters. And they have to use a bunch of nitrogen to be able to get that. So that's you know example. If you're fermenting sugar, you need like a whole bunch of, ni- of nutrients. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, hard seltzer production. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're using a combination of sugar, uh, yeast, and nutrients. Very complex nutrient supplements. Uh, some rum producers that are, that are fermenting grain, uh, granular sugar, you're going to be using a nutrient supplementation. We sell one called Firm Life on our Firm Solutions uh, website that is a good all around it's got everything in there you know instead of like dang am i missing out on manganese Mm -hmm. it's got everything in there like there's all you need on top of that's carbohydrates so you know uh but the other thing is whenever you're fermenting sugar is you need a lot more yeast you know Mm -hmm. so typically if we're doing a grain-based fermentation i would estimate we're going to use somewhere between one to two grams of active dried yeast per gallon of mash. If we're doing a sugar-based fermentation, if you want it to finish in like within a week and finish to completion, you're going to want to use probably 12 grams of yeast per gallon. It's just how much it takes. And whenever you look at like turbo yeast, for example, yep. you, that the the rate of usage on that, you're adding a just a it's almost like it's got a sludge layer of yeast on the bottom of ferment yeah Yeah. so uh you know if you and then you look at the yeast you got to use plus the nutrients and then whenever again you look at turbo yeast we offer turbo yeast as well as the firm solutions it's got that all those additional ingredients in there in addition to the yeast so
2: speaking of turbo yeast everybody well i'll say everybody a lot of people complain they say well you know it makes a hot liquor in your opinion, what, what causes that?
1: Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I'll tell you this for sure is there's a lot of what I would call hot liquor being made from errors in distillation, Yeah. you know, so it's, you got to make sure that you're differentiating problems that are really distillation issues from, you know, from from yeah exactly from something that you're adding in like we're talking about turbo yeast you know but I've heard that so I've heard complaints about the flavor uh, associated with it and it could be again it's hard to tease apart again unless you're doing an experiment you know because my first question is did it ever taste good because <laughs> if this is your first batch then maybe it won't it won't ever taste good unless That's right. you change something. So, you got to look at that and, and, and people's levels of expertise. What type of still are they working with? I mean, the, did they buy a three gallon pot still off of eBay? Are they using a 50 gallon hillbilly still? Is it a Vendome, you know, 200 gallon with really nice copper, you know, bubble caps? I mean, there's a lot of different, um, you, you know, and then you look at other things that, uh, like the ABV that you get to in the fermenter, you know, mm-hmm. is the still that you're using capable of properly distilling that out to where you're not either leaving a bunch of alcohol behind in the stillage, which if you're recycling your stillage back to the fermenter and there's a whole bunch of alcohol in it, it could cause issues there. But, you know, just so many different, so many different variables. What's st- What proof are you coming off the steel? You know, a lot of people that I know that are using smaller steels, um, they have a problem with getting low enough proof. You know, like for bourbon, for example, by law, it has to come off at 160. I got people calling all the time. Hey, man, 165 is all the lower I can get on this damn steel. You know, and it's... So- Not
2: to cut you off, but you say uh, 160. Now, is that right off the still or is that like blended together in the container from the run?
1: No, the law with bourbon uh, is it can't be distilled over 160. Okay. Now, ours comes off, if you just look at us, you know, we come off at about 137, 138 off the Mm -hmm. doubler. And then we're going into the barrel at 110. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got your what coming off the still what's allowable by law which nobody's hardly distilling close to 160 right but but there's a lot of producers on smaller equipment that are just by the nature of how their equipment runs and then again if you're running on a pot still you got to look at collective of heads hearts and tails whereas on a column still you know you got a little bit more control and you're pulling off you know you're pulling off a uh you know, more continuous same thing rather than blending heads, hearts, and tails. And you're also making your cuts very differently on a, a column still as well.
2: So talk a little bit about um, Wilderness Trail. What kind of um, stills you guys use and uh, your barreling and, and all that?
1: Yeah. So uh, we started off at Wilderness with a, a uh, 200 gallon Vendome pot still that was heated with a water jacket that was surrounding our pot. That we so a lot of a lot of these smaller stills, like hillbilly stills, for example, or at least they used to. I don't know if they still do, but they have electrodes that go into the pot. And a lot of people are like, "Well, I have to, you know, filter out my grain, or it'll mm-hmm. burn on those electrodes." So we thought, well, let's put a water bath around our pot and then heat that water with the electrodes. That way the, the, the beer is in the pot, but the water is what's getting heated. So it was a little bit different of a way of doing it. And it allowed us to run off electricity. We didn't have a boiler when we first started Wilderness Trail, so we just had that, that 200-gallon pot. Still, we had six. 500 gallon either four or 500 gallon fermenters i think we were doing 400 gallon batches at the time and it would take us you know with a 200 gallon pot still a full day you know to run two batches to to do a 400 gallon fermenter so that was giving us about one barrel a day back in this is uh, just a little over 10 years ago so we started off one barrel a day uh, you know, three, four days a week. And, you know, one thing, and, and here we were with still with the Firm Solutions Company. So when we started Wilderness in 2013 is when we started distilling, um, that was right when the shit hit the fan on, on the bourbon boom. You know, I mean, really things were, and we're right in the middle of it because we're in the Kentucky Distillers Association. I mean, and that was back when, here we are new to the industry we're showing up to the meeting and here's jimmy russell jimmy rutledge chris morris the whole gang all around the table you know representatives from heaven hill there's fred no over there i mean everybody was it was kind of like the the family you know and now there's like uh, we did, we became the 18th member of the kentucky bourbon trail we just finally joined the heritage Gosh. trail but we started off on the Kentucky bourbon trail craft tour. Um, So anyhow, we started off, you know, a slow amount of, little amount of production. And then through our firm solutions business, we went from getting phone calls about how come your damn yeast isn't working to being the company that gets phone calls about any question related to anything. So once wilderness kind of started off, we started getting a lot of calls of, Hey man, do you guys know anybody that can make barrels for me? Because they're not making them for me anymore over here at, you know, the other big distilleries. They almost all were, a lot of them were doing contract production up to a certain point, you know, and and then all of a sudden, about the time we started Wilderness, they all cut it, you know, all those big distilleries, not only did they double down on production, but they quit doing any contract work like, we're going to make our own brands. You know, this bourbon boom is coming on. So there's all these people scattering around looking for production, and so we're like, we love, you know, we like I said, we can you make me a thousand barrels? Can you make me five thousand barrels? And we're like started doing the math on it. It was like, man, we need to have a bigger facility here because <laughs> we can take advantage of some of this and it'll help capitalize the project. So little by little we expanded once we added an 18-inch diameter Vendome column steel, which will process about 12,000 gallons of beer in a day. So, I mean, that thing took us from 200 barrel a year capacity to between 7,000 to 12,000 barrels a year. That's insane. We thought that was big, but then within (laughs) two years after that one was installed, we put in a 36 inch column. And that one processes 60,000 gallons of beer every day. And we get 60 barrels of bourbon a shift out of that thing. So we get, currently we do 225 barrels a day, 215 to 225 barrels a day, seven days a week at Wilderness Trail. So we're actually the 14th largest bourbon producer in the world, and we're knocking on a capacity of, you know, close to 70,000 barrels a year. Well, shit's changed a little bit over at Wilderness, you could say. (laughs) Just a little, just a little. Yeah. So that's the situation now. And then recently, you know, with my business partner and I, I mean, if you look at other distilleries that are, you know, the, the size of us, you know, like, and again, some of those distilleries that started off about where we are are larger now like Bardstown Bourbon, for example, Green River, you know, those are a couple other ones, but you know, um, Wilderness trail has always been, you know, in terms of the ownership of it, it's been Shane and I, and, and we just through our firm solutions business that we're able to capitalize it. And we're very fortunate to be able to do things like we did. And we were very smart about that. And Shane, he's an expert at, at operations and how do you uh, build a factory and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we coupled our expertise together and we were able to, uh, you know, but we got to the point to where we need I mean, here we were in 44 states with our products. We're in, I'm you know, over in Germany and Sweden and all these other places getting business. And we just realized, man, we've got to have uh, some type of partnership on this. So we ended up divesting 70% ownership of Wilderness Trail to Campari that owns my turkey distillery. So that was, that went down about a year ago. And little by little, we've been transitioning, you know, over to uh, you know, over to working with those guys. Wow, so yep,
2: shit, business is pretty good then.
1: Yeah, uh, it's pretty crazy. So,
2: talk about all the different stuff that you guys have um, barreled. I mean, is it just rye whiskeys? Is it
1: well, we have uh, two different bourbons that we well, actually three different bourbons that we're making. We do a, a, weeded bourbon, which is a lot of people call it our yellow label product. <laughs> um, so if it's got yellow on the label, either the, if the label's yellow or if the word bourbon on the front of it is yellow, that that would mean it's a barrel pick, but we have a weeded bourbon. That is 64% corn, 24% wheat, 12% malted barley. And then we've got a rye, a high rye bourbon that's that same recipe, except it's got 24% rye in it. And then we've got a rye whiskey that's a uh, 56% rye, 33% corn, and 11% malted barley. So a little bit different than the typical 95% five rye recipe that that a lot of people make Um, so those are our standard ones we also do a um, a four grain uh, bourbon which i believe that is 64 corn and then 12 and 12 wheat and rye and then the remainder uh, remaining 12 is uh, malted barley so those are uh, are ones that we make frequently and then we've done a little bit of stuff with a single malt. Um, there's probably some, you know, there's some different mash recipes. I know we've done some, you know, even higher rye bourbons, you know, closer to 40% rye um, in a bourbon. So there's some other stuff in there that, you know, we're looking at. We've distilled. We've got distillate. We do a, uh, a product called Harvest Run that is barrel aged sorghum molasses distillate. So we buy sorghum molasses from a a really excellent farm here in Kentucky and we ferment that, distill it, and uh, age it in used bourbon barrels. It's called Harvest Run. Really good product.
2: Nice. Yeah, I think, uh, speaking of sorghum, there's a festival down there. I think it's in Morgan County, a sorghum festival.
1: That's right.
0: Now, do you have to do anything special when with your sorghum? Because, you know, um, one, we haven't well, heard anybody talk about sorghum. So, you know, I would yeah, treat. I well, like any
1: molasses, that. it's going to be highly concentrated sugar. So you got to consider, you know, what is the brick starting with? So if you, um, you know, if you're starting, usually uh, sorghum molasses as well as cane molasses comes in about 90 bricks, 80 to 90 bricks. And where you want to be is about 18 bricks on that. So you cut it, you know, uh, one to four about, you know, to get your 18 bricks. You do have to add a little bit of nitrogen. We add diamonium phosphate. That's a food grade nitrogen source. We add about probably a gram and a half per gallon of uh, wash um and then that's all we do just add yeast we do about two to three grams per gallon and um rock and roll we, now, we use fp1 yeast when okay. that is which is a firm solutions yeast anytime we're doing molasses or sugar
2: now when you guys do um i i guess some molasses or anything like that rum i guess mm-hmm. um is the fermentation does it take longer than it would say with a grain well or,
1: uh-huh. it it normally does a little bit but we try to keep it within five days
2: okay
1: yeah tom what yeast was that again that was fp1 is the name of it that i was mentioning that's the one we usually use for now we we also have one nine two one that we've also used it's a good rum strain uh, it also makes good whiskey, but uh, that's one that we've bonafide tested on rum. We, we've made a good bit of, you know, at it, it Wilderness Trail, not only over the years have we made a lot of our own, you know, we've got our own brands, you know, Blue Heron Vodka, Harvest Run. that's that kind of rum-like uh, sorghum product in our, you know, Wilderness Trail bourbon and rye whiskeys. But we've made a lot of other distillates and have been involved with a lot of other distilleries that have made, you know, some really cool, you know, different distillates. So it's kind of neat to be involved, as well as a lot of the contract production, you know, where we've made whiskey for different people who requested mash recipes that we might not have normally made for ourselves, you know. So that's, you know, we get the opportunities in a lot of cases to taste those products as they're aging. And so we kind of learn from that as well.
2: So do you guys have any uh, projects in the works right now? Any special projects, I guess, or Um, you can talk about?
1: Well, you know, um, I mean one of uh, one thing that we've got is i mean it's not necessarily a special project but where we only started 10 years ago we're coming into these aged products you know i mentioned you know we just released a 10 year old just a few weeks ago um so you know getting into the you know the first 12 year old product that we ever have you know how's our weed you know 12 year gonna taste next to a weller 12 year you know Um, There's all these different milestones relative to the age that it's hitting that, uh, you know, that we're really looking forward to. But, you know, in terms of like innovation, I mean, we've done some really cool things uh, relative uh, to the barrels. You know, we do some cool research with Independent Stave Company. They're the ones that make our barrels. Uh, We've done some we've done some recent actually just. Got some whiskey out of barrels where we modified the outside of the barrel instead of the inside of the barrel. And our goal there was to increase oxygen permeability because there are certain chemical reactions like esterification reactions, for example. A lot of those are uh, mediated by oxidation. So uh, somebody asked, what yeast for rice i would do fp1 is is our normal yeast that we recommend for rice as well as uh as using the enzymes the alpha and the gluco nice. is wilderness trail available in ohio absolutely it's available in ohio my cousins call me every time they come across the <laughs> store they're like on the ohio liquor board website like hey man i noticed and then co-shocked and they're out of uh, Wilderness Trail at Roscoe Village Liquor Store. I'm like, holy shit, man. These people know their territory around here. <laughs> I'm
2: going to have to go look for some then.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we do a, actually, I think Ohio is is almost head-to-head with the business we do in Kentucky. It's unbelievable.
0: Really? It gets extra cold up here, man. Long, cold winters.
1: Uh, somebody there said they they get browbeat when they tell somebody to use dap it's like yep some people just don't understand these little whippersnappers (laughs) they gotta be taught you know so what's the you said
2: something about fp1 what's the uh highest percentage that you would go with that because i know a lot of people are all about getting the most out of the product well again you know
1: yeah, I mean, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, 15, 16 ABV, which is really way higher than you'd ever want to go for a distill. Because, you know, whenever you look at a lot of people think of, well, I'll get more alcohol out of that batch. But if you go too high on the alcohol by volume, you end up with reflux issues. And a lot of times, even if you don't realize it, you're gonna have alcohol left over in your stillage. Somebody said, Will FP1 work with the acid in pineapples? It should. Um, but you might need to buffer that with something, you know, put a little bit of grain in there or um, you know, dilute it a little bit and then maybe back, you know, add add some sugar or some other type of, you know, where you keep that pineapple flavor in there. But because acidity can be an issue, um, but it's it's pretty amazing the array of different pHs that we see. You know, we've got big, continuous fuel alcohol distilleries that run down in the threes, you know, on pH, and we've got people down in Florida that are fermenting like leftovers from orange juice factories and stuff, and they're fermenting up in the seven. You know, so it's – and they're using the same yeast strains. So the yeast is pretty forgiving across a wide range of pHs. But if you're on the low side, you can always buffer it with Mm -hmm. a little bit of some type of a base, you know.
2: So talk a little bit about, um, uh, like, bacterias, you know, Britannomyces and all that. Yeah. What's that one that everybody – the home distillers, I keep hearing a lot of? Lacto. Lacto. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: So, well, like Britannomyces that you mentioned, that's actually a wild yeast strain. So there's wild yeast and there's bacteria. Um, And they both end up in your process similar ways, you know, you're not cleaning properly or or whatever. Um, You know, whenever you're making grain-based mashes, you have that, you know, two-hour high heat process at the beginning. So usually... At that point, once you're done cooking, you're essentially not sterilized, but pretty heavily pasteurized. And then people wonder, well, why am I getting contaminated in my fermenter every time? It's in my fermenters clean. It's like, yeah, but what about your transfer hoses, your pump that you're using to transfer the material from the cooker to the fermenter? And then we see that at big ethanol facilities where they have external heat exchangers, you know, the, the thing, the, you know, tube and tube or whatever type of I've seen plate and frame heat exchangers used. And those are external devices that are just notoriously contaminated, you know. But anyways, um, whenever you look at the bacteria that contaminate any type of a brewery, these are the types of bacteria that. Kind of like the same bacteria that are in sauerkraut and yogurt, you know, these are the ones that are, would be fermenting. If the yeast, if you weren't putting in a hundred million yeast cells per milliliter, they would be the ones fermenting it, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we look at like corn silage and different things, these are the organisms that do that and they acidify and they're used to preserve food. Like I said, sauerkraut, yogurt, uh, these types of organisms. So they're not like bacteria that, you know, cause you to get bloody diarrhea or something. These are (laughs) bacteria that we eat in foods that are healthy for us. But what they do is they contaminate and they, um, you know, they're not on a recipe card. So we don't necessarily want ingredients in there that aren't on the recipe card. But what they do is they consume sugar that the yeast should be using So you are decreasing yields, you're not getting as much alcohol. But the other thing is they're producing organic acids and other compounds that could affect the flavor. Now, organic acids can be good because organic acids condense with alcohols to form esters. And esters are what give the fruity flavors and the vanilla and the caramel and all these classic flavors of different liquors so the organic acids are important but there's other organic acids like butyric acid for example that makes liquor taste like baby vomit (laughs) smell too (laughs) Yeah, smell too exactly so there's all these different things then you hear about diacetyl give them buttery you know flavors um that can be associated with like pediococcus contamination there's um, you know, ethyl carbamate that people talk about as a carcinogen. It's actually regulated in, in liquor that's going to Europe. And that can be produced by different combinations of contamination. So um, now back to your question about lacto. Lacto is, refers to a specific um, bacteria that the genus is lactobacillus. So there's a lot of different species of lactobacillus. Lactobacillus brevis, lactobacillus fermentum, lactobacillus delbrueckii. There's a lot of different, you know, species of lactobacillus. Lactobacillus is in the family that we refer to as lactic acid bacteria. Some some people call them LAB, uh, lactic acid bacteria, and that includes lactobacillus and all the different species of lactobacillus but it also includes other organisms like pediococcus for example some people might have heard the term pedio like some of the yeast companies actually sell pediococcus species that are used to make sour beers for example Hmm. you know and, and they do make some very interesting esters and anything you smell in the fermentation has a potential to end up over in the distillate And when you look at barrel aged distillates, some of those chemicals that are formed in fermentation turn into other stuff over the course of aging in the barrel. So, you know, there's a lot of layers uh, to this stuff, but the contamination, man, that, that, that has a lot to do with how a distillery, what's the fingerprint of that distillery. If you want to crack the code on some of the most famous Scotch and Irish whiskey brands and, older distilleries, you've got to include the contamination. We've got 180,000 different bacteria, 180,000 different bacteria that we've been collecting over the last 20 years from probably over a thousand different distilleries across the globe. And some of those distilleries, we've been tracking contamination for the last 20 years. So, and we keep those bacteria. We got them stored at minus, 20, minus 80 degrees Celsius in our lab. And uh, again, if you want to really study flavor, that those we study them because we create products that kill them for fuel alcohol distilleries. You know, that's one of the reasons why we started studying, but when we got more and more into beverage alcohol, we started looking at them more for flavor, you know, But the other thing about it, and somebody mentioned it earlier, is all those bacteria have the potential as probiotics. So literally, we've probably got the world's largest repository of probiotic bacteria. And now we're communicating with pharma companies and medical companies to try to capitalize on that collection. So it's it's pretty interesting how all that ties together. (laughs)
2: <laughs> there's so much more to this stuff man than what meets the eye that's <laughs> the beauty about it so much
1: yeah tell me about it but the- you,
0: every time every time you hear somebody speak that's just a new rabbit hole that you could spend a lifetime wandering down and then if you ever do reach the end of it or you, you've had enough of it somebody else says something else and you're on to another rabbit hole and oh, man, man. I, I like to mess with our buddy hooch all the time i, I tell him about something he's like well now i gotta spend all night on google thanks a lot and i'll make you welcome buddy yep. <laughs> enjoy the rabbit hole learn it yeah yeast and enzymes that is definitely a so huge rabbit hole
2: if, if you had if you were making something for yourself to drink what would it be
1: um probably a nice uh lemonade But, uh, you know, as far as distillates, I'm a whiskey guy, just straight up, you know. Um, I'm also a beer guy. You know, I like beer, you know. Um, and, and, and when it comes to beers, you know, I like, I like lagers, you know, I'm a kind of a light beer type of person. I'm not real big. I do appreciate more complex beers, but I've always just been kind of a light beer drinker probably because of where I come from, you know, (laughs) we just drank, I mean, I remember the day whenever I got to, when I was making enough money in my career. Where I made the move from natural light to bud light. And it was like, hey man, what else you want to ask for? You know? <laughs> you know when you you know when you've made it, you know. That's right. That was also whenever I switched from hamburger magic up to hamburger helper, too. <laughs> so I was splurging. Living the high life. Yeah, somebody says, Doctor and Alan Bishop could have a month long podcast. We've had a couple of them that lasted seemed like a while but alan's a good guy we always have a good time talking somebody else asked the question if we ever made a mash from rye that was unmalted we have customers that do that and they just simply have to use enzymes to make he, it up for he
0: was wanting to know if you used rice and rye
1: oh, oh rice, rice and, rye. and rye rice and rye unmalted never heard of anybody doing that but you sure certainly could you know that would uh, probably make a really good. I know rice distill is really delicious, and rye distill it's very delicious. So, by the reasoning of deduction, <laughs> you know, I like When good. chocolate and
0: peanut butter together. You know how you gonna that's go wrong? Right. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just gotta mix it and try it. You never know. And yeah, if you don't right. like it the first time, try it again yep. a different way because yep. you
2: might like it the other way. So, mm-hmm. so do you guys offer any kind of uh, white dog, or is it are you guys just strictly bourbon or?
1: Yeah, every now and then on the tours, they might give out a taste or something. But we've kind of always been, I mean, we appreciate that people want to educate themselves on a white dog. And and I like the the fact of offering it in one respect. But in another respect, we didn't want that to be somebody's first taste of what we have. Um, And, and secondly, it's just – not a great product. I mean, it's good for what it is. Our white Mm -hmm. dog, there's been people, some world's experts that's on tape when it came in and said, Hey, this is the best distillate I've ever had straight off the steel, but it's still distillate straight off the steel. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I like it for what it is. But it's just kind of been one of those things that where, you know, we want to be known for premium whiskeys, and we just don't want that. Yeah. You know, and so for the – and it's also kind of a treat when somebody, you know, somebody who really cares enough to make the pilgrimage of, I want to taste that damn distillate. it. So <laughs> you can do it. You know, you just need to come see us probably. Okay
0: i have to remind that so that's another stop on the trail we're going to run we're going to run that trail before i die sean we got to run that trail
2: Yep. me you well, the
0: hoots the masters noble let's go run that trail man
2: well we're going to be down in uh huh. neely's neely family distillery at some point next i think in march so okay. i don't know how, i don't know how close you are to royce's but
1: um, they're up in, uh, like, more in over, uh, I think, around Louisville area. We're probably a couple hours from them. Okay. But, um, yeah, man, I would definitely work in a trip to see those guys. Royce is a good buddy of ours, and uh, he's, uh, he's a good guy. I heard he just lost his grandpa lately.
2: Yep, yep.
1: Yeah, I hate to hear that. But, man, I was looking at all the pictures that he posted of them, you know, and, man, you know. If you lose your grandpa, you know, and can look back on all those great memories, I mean, that's what it's all about. So, we'll shout out to to Royce and his grandpa. You still unmute yourself, Sean. Oh,
0: you're over, you over hiding the sound. Of the he's, goat. he's giving a moment of silence. Appreciate that, I need yeah. a
2: moment of silence. <laughs> he's,
0: he's got all them damn baby goats in the background, one fed.
2: Yeah, I got a bottle, bottle baby. And it's, it's, it's back there hollering.
0: I hear it. It's <laughs> <laughs> been going off on him. Me, me and the masters have just been eating him up in, in, a, in a group chat about it. So. Yeah, Sean's got goats. In case anybody's wondering what the noise is, it's not, it's not a squeaky door or a sound effects we're tossing on there. So feed your goats, Sean, feed your goats.
2: Yeah, so uh, a good question come in. Um, do you have any Ohio corn strains in the Wilderness Trail recipes?
1: Ohio corn strains in the Wilderness Trail recipes. Well, you know, I don't know what the origin, I mean, nowadays where we use so much grain, I mean, in the, at the very beginning, we were grinding 820 pounds of grain every day. It was no big deal to keep track. of And we worked with a seed farmer. We worked with a local uh, in Danville called Caverndale Farms, who, who's a seed farmer, and they did a real good job of keeping their varieties separate they were a seed farmer so we actually in the beginning had the option of using very specific uh, varieties whereas now we're grinding a million pounds of grain every five days so it's like you know we do what we can um you know to not only get local grains but to you know use varieties we're familiar with um but you know, that's just kind of one of those things. Whenever you go larger scale, you know, you just sort of do the best you can. And, I mean, we get great quality grain. Yeah. Um, it's just sometimes going to be different varieties. But I number know. two yellow dent corn. Yeah. I, I
0: don't know if it's anything like Ohio to where you get a massive tax break if you use in-state ingredients. Like Ohio, they give you a massive tax break if you get your ingredients from
1: in-state. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'll have to ask about that.
0: So, yeah, it's, it's insane. The rates, uh, if you're, you're locally sourced as opposed to bringing it from out of state, like the tax breaks, it's crazy. Mm. So you you hear a lot of guys talk about how, you
1: know, we get our stuff from in state, we get everything from in state. So. Mm. Well, I know some bars you actually have to make everything that you, you know, even the bidders, you know, if you're going to, Sir, if you're a distillery, for example, in some states, I don't know if it's like this in Ohio, but if you're going, you can serve cocktails, but you have to make everything that goes into it. Mm. It's just kind of like, can't crack a freaking can of Coke. (laughs) I know (laughs) distilleries that are literally making their own cola because they can't, by their state law, they got to make everything that's in their cocktails. It's like,
0: it's it's wild state to state i think we, we was over in west virginia and the one we was at he's like yeah we can't sell mixers or anything like that here we would have to open up a whole nother business next door in a totally separate building to be able yeah. to sell mixers and things like that and it's just like it's crazy man the, yeah, it's all the see. hoops that make you jump through so
2: so what was your biggest um uh hiccup i guess if you will um when you guys Open the distillery. I mean, did was there a hang up on on licensing, or was it, you know, just um, getting everything well, running?
1: You know, having already been run a successful business, and and having capital from that business to properly, you know, f- you know, capitalize the distillery. You know, we didn't have the headaches that a lot of people have. But one thing that I'll tell you, it's a little bit embarrassing to say. But one thing that we messed up before we really even got started is we literally broke our steel before we ever used it.
2: So we had and I our, know I know a guy.
1: Yeah. Been there. <laughs> so so we get our we got our brand new Vendome pot steel. And again, it's a pot that sets in a water bath. That one's a
2: little expensive, too.
1: Oh, yeah. A little (laughs) bit expensive. So I'm guessing, you know, probably somewhere around a half a million dollars or something. We had rectifying columns with it, too. So anyway, we had this pot sitting in this water bath. And the water bath has a spot where you hook up a hose and to fill it up. And then it's got a pressure relief mechanism on it which isn't like a valve it's more like it looks kind of like an air stone on there and when the still's running and that water's hot in there you'll you'll see that little air stone kind of sizzling a little bit letting off a little bit of that pressure so we when we first got the still we had to fill that water bath full of water and or that water jacket rather so we hooked the hose up to it turned the hose on And then later on that day, it's like, man, this damn thing is not filling up. What the hell's going on? And we opened up the manway and looked down in the pot, and the damn bottom of the pot was pushed all the way up to the top. So (laughs) the pressure relief valve or whatever it is, it was just a screw that was in there, just a nut that was in there like to hold the space, and we were supposed to actually screw the pressure relief mechanism Uh in there later. And we didn't do that, and we put that hose in there and pressurized it, and it pushed the whole bottom oh, of pot. Man. So instead of having a 200-gallon pot still, we had about a 7-gallon <laughs> pot still just pancaked up. We, we called Vendome, and we're like, man, you guys are not going to believe this shit. We literally have broke this damn still uh, just by filling it full of water. And uh, they took it back, fixed it, and uh, we were back to the, off the races. But that was probably the one thing that, it, with all of our years of expertise, uh, we broke our damn still right when we got it. Always a little valve, huh? Yep. So, uh, word of the wise: if you get a pot still with a water bath around it, be sure to remove the pressure relief valve before <laughs> filling it. I'm damn valves to get you. Yep.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. I. Th- these are the stories I like to hear, you know, because it doesn't matter how small scale you are or big scale, like shit happens. Oh yeah. You know, just the bigger it is, the more expensive it is. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely. But, uh,
2: well, I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate you coming on man and, and giving us a little over an hour of your time, but, uh, I think we kept everybody long enough. Hey,
0: I will, I will say yeah. it was, was, this was a very, Amazing, informative podcast, man. I really enjoyed listening to you speak about yeast and enzymes and, and, you know, and and, and your distillery, but I was, re- I was real intrigued about. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm man, glad man. you, you had me on here. Speak. So I, I said, My pleasure, brother.
2: If you would, before we get off here, tell everybody where, uh, you can be found if you know your distillery, the firm yeah. solutions, all that
1: yeah yeah i mean you can find uh firm solutions we're www.firm f-e-r-m as in fermentation firm dash that's a hyphen solutions.com um you know any of our products and things can be ordered off the website we've got a lot of information about our company and if anybody had any technical questions don't hesitate to reach out we've got online as well as a call in You know, numbers actually that you can call and a human will answer the phone. Um, And our Wilderness Trail, we are at 4095 Lebanon Road in Danville, Kentucky. We're, again, on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. We welcome anyone to uh, come by and uh, see us for a tour. Um, And that's uh, where we're at. You can also find us on all the social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, where um, exactly is Wilderness Trail Distillery? Danville, Kentucky. Yeah, but we're just a little south of Lexington. So um, not that
2: far, not that far from us, I wouldn't wouldn't assume.
1: No, not at
0: all. Lexington's like two and a half hours, three hours. Yeah, we're like
1: 45 minutes down below Lexington. Not too far from Wild Turkey and uh, Four Roses, if you know that. Lawrenceburg is, you know, 25 miles from where we're at.
2: So are you close to like, uh, uh, I can't think of the name of the distillery, but Stephen beam, um, yep.
1: So we're probably 25 miles east of Steve's distillery. Okay. Yep. Mm. -hmm. Yeah. We're going to have to go down and check that out. Yeah, man. Holler at me when you guys get ready to make it down. I'll be happy to show you around. We'll do man. Done.
2: I said, (laughs) greatly appreciate you being on here and sharing the knowledge, man. Thank you so much. Yep. It was a
0: pleasure. Uh, we appreciate everybody watching. You got any questions? Feel free to message Dr. Pat or message Sean um, or me. I'll answer.
2: I'll just or, point you that way. Yeah, I'll just point you that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, y'all have a great night, man. Everybody, we'll see y'all next week. Absolutely, everybody shine on. Have a Take good one. Care.